Good morning, everybody. Welcome and good morning, everybody in Calvary, Quaker Town. Boy, talk about a year of transition and change. Work from home, church from home. Everything locked down and we're locked out. But you know, in the midst of that, we learned how to do things a little differently, even though the purpose and the priorities remained the same. You know, last March, uh, churches closed their doors. And we all thought maybe that would last for a few weeks, right? Just until we flattened the curve or took the pressure off healthcare workers. And here we are a year later. And thankfully, things are beginning to open up. You can have, you know, attendees going to sporting events. Restaurants are beginning to open. You can come to Calvary Church. Two services now. Bridge, Calvary Kids, students, all opening up. But the new normal is not going to be like the old norm. Contrary to what you may think when we talk about the series, we don't know what the new normal is going to be either yet. Uh, We've got some ideas about those things that won't change, but the things that will change are still kind of figuring out and we're not sure what they'll be. But we thought this would be a great time as things are beginning to open up to remind ourselves about the church. What are the priorities? Why the importance? And how do those things need to filter into what always changes and what never changes. Now, interestingly, if you've been with us for uh, the last couple of months, you know that we've been working our way through passages in Matthew, looking at Jesus, the last and final king. Well, it's kind of interesting. Matthew is the only gospel, not Mark, Luke, or John. Matthew's the only gospel that mentions the word church. So what I thought we would do to start the series, we're gonna look at the two passages in Matthew where the word church gets mentioned. And we're gonna see what Jesus says and what need to be the building blocks as we begin to think about church. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 16 for the first of those references. And we're gonna look at Jesus promising, I will build my church. That appears in Matthew 16. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. And I'm gonna read the interesting passage in which that promise comes up. And uh, we're not going to answer all your detailed questions about that passage, but hopefully we're going to get to the point and talk about the main thing. So beginning at verse 13, here's the context in which that promise appears. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what do you say? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And that's kind of an interesting uh, place to bring up church. You know, Matthew, the most Jewish of the Gospels, here he is talking about church and this new thing Jesus is doing. But uh, I want to point out a couple things. I'll make a couple of observations um, that maybe should correct some of our thinking. Uh, In that, Jesus begins with a question. Who do the people say that I am? You know, you guys are rubbing shoulders with people. You're in the marketplace. You know, you're with family members. Who are people saying I am? The disciples immediately kind of go through the list. And here's what they say. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. So other people say you're one of the prophets. 
Here's what I find very uh, interesting. If you were to ask many people in our culture, who is Jesus, who was Jesus, they'd probably answer like this. Jesus was very gentle, a very humble guy. He would never judge anyone. He's a comforting, sweet friend. You know, Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That's not what the people were saying. In fact, when you think of John the Baptist, do you think of gentle John, meek and mild? No, John gets thrown in prison, eventually has his head cut off because he goes face to face with Herod and tells Herod he's living out of bounds. He's going to be judged by God by taking his brother's wife. That's not gentle John. When the Pharisees of religious leaders came out to be baptized, who said, he said, who sent you guys out here? Jesus didn't come primarily for you. Jesus came, he's going to chop down the tree and you guys are part of that tree. You're all going to be condemned. What? How about Elijah? Elijah's the one who stood face to face with 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, remember? He gets in Ahab, the king's face, and says, there's going to be a drought for three years because of your wickedness. Elijah? Oh, well, how about Jeremiah? Now, some of you, yeah, Jesus thought like Jeremiah. Jeremiah's the weeping prophet. You know what his other nickname is? Jeremiah, the angry prophet. Because he always had this little bear under his saddle, right? One of my favorite sermons uh, that Jeremiah preached, he goes to the potter's house. Remember, he gets the little pot. And he goes to the temple, and he's preaching right at the door. All the people are coming into the temple. He takes the pot that he just got from the pot. Waste of money. He takes the pot, smashes it, and says, that's what God's going to do to you all because you continue to live apart from him. Who's Jesus like? John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. Huh. Maybe our cultural understanding is different because those people were seeing and interacting and reading things differently than we are. We often don't think of Jesus in those terms, do we? Well, eventually Jesus gets to the point and says, well, but who do you guys say that I am? And of course, Peter speaks, right? He's the first one usually putting his foot in it, I mean, saying something. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now remember, Messiah does not mean savior. Messiah does not mean sufferer. Messiah means king. And so Peter says, Jesus, here's you. you are the king. You're the son of the living God. You don't just speak for God. You are God's king. Now, you got to understand, that was pretty risky for Peter to say. Now, he and the disciples and Jesus, they're in Caesarea Philippi. It's kind of on the outskirts of, you know, Herod's territory. But still, Herod is the king. Caesar is the emperor. And here's a... Peter's saying, but Jesus, you're the real king. That was pretty risky stuff. And then Jesus gives the promise. You're right, Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, there's some slight disagreement. Is it Peter they're going to, you know, getting to church? Well, if you know, if you read the first half of Acts, Peter really is one of the foundation stones, but ultimately it's Jesus' church. He's the one building it, and he's the one that the church is for. Um, Peter's confession of Jesus. Well, we're not exactly sure what all the details mean, but we do know that Peter plays a primary role, and we do know that very soon, in fact, in this very chapter, Peter the rock becomes Peter the stumbling stone. And he said, well, Jesus, you really don't have to go to the cross. A different kind of rock. What's the point 
Now, here's the point. You ever hear about dogs imprinting or animals imprinting? You, know, you ever hear that? Uh, well, let me tell you an imprint story, actually a true one. Uh, a few years ago, um, our daughter Megan gets a little French bulldog puppy, and she names the French bulldog puppy Finley. She doesn't have Finley long at all until Finley comes down with Parvo. Now, if you know anything about Parvo, that's an often deadly disease in puppies. Finley gets Parvo bad. I mean, Finley is kind of on her last leg. We, my wife and I, we're wondering if Finley's going to make it every day, every day. Megan would get home from work before she would eat. She would take Finley and wouldn't do anything, just kind of lay around, not eating. She would take Finley. She would sit in the bathtub, no water. She'd sit in the bathtub in her clothes, and she would feed Finley with a syringe every day. Well, long story short, Finley survived. And Megan is Finley's mom. In fact, Megan is Finley's mom to the point that if Megan's ever going to go away, like on vacation or anything, she has to pack and keep the suitcases in a different room from Finley. Because if Finley sees the suitcases, Finley like freaks out because Megan can't go away. Finley has organized her life around Megan because Finley imprinted on Megan. What's Jesus saying? You need to imprint on me. You need to organize your life around me. And rather than imprint on anything, and truth be told, we've all imprinted on something, haven't we? You organize your life around something. We've imprinted on something. Jesus is calling us to give up those things and to imprint on him. Now, how do we do that? Well, a couple things. One of them relates to church. We need to assemble. Now, look. I am thankful for technology that has allowed us to continue to be the church when we weren't at church. And I'm thankful now that lots of people can watch online and we're streaming the service up the Quaker. I'm really thankful for all of that. It's not the same watching at home as it is when you assemble together. The word church actually means assembly. It means gathering and so we need to assemble and gather. So I encourage all of you watching, as soon as you feel safe, return so we can gather. Return so we can assemble. That's one way that we imprint on Jesus as we hang out, we hear about him together, we share what's going on in our lives. We imprint on Jesus as we assemble with other followers of Jesus. But there's another way you can imprint on Jesus. Make an appointment. Assemble an appointment. How about this? A daily appointment. I don't know about you, but if you think about it, if Finley only saw Megan an hour a week, I don't think Finley would ever have imprinted on Megan. Now look, I'm thankful you're all here and I'm thankful you're all online, but if this is it, if this is your only Jesus input, I guarantee you, you're going to imprint on something other than him. We need regular daily appointments so I would encourage you, pray daily. Find a way to read something in the Bible. Think about what God's doing daily. You know, we've talked about through the years, 15 minutes a day. You know, put your butt in a chair. Find a comfortable seat. Do it at the same time. Make it a habit. 15 minutes. Read a little something. Pray a little something. If we assemble regularly and we have appointments daily, I think we can give up imprinting on other things and we can begin to imprint on Jesus 
That's what it means to have Jesus as king. We organize our lives around him. We imprint on him. Well, the next passage isn't in Matthew 16. It's in Matthew 18. So if you have your Bibles, turn over a couple chapters. And let me read uh, the second place. I'm not going to read the place that the word appears. I know, I know. I'll get to that in a second. I'm going to read a parable that Jesus ends the chapter with. And it's a real familiar story. I'm going to connect it to the church. We're built on Jesus, right? Jesus the king. Who is he? He's the king. What does he do? Right? The church is built on who Jesus is and what he's done. These two passages in Matthew tell us that. Verse 21 of Matthew 18. Follow along. Then Peter, right here he is again, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and all his children be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Built on Jesus and built on forgiveness. Um, Now, the church reference appears right before that parable. It appears in verse 17. And um, it's in the context of church discipline. And I know somebody's saying, that's right, that's right. The church is built on church discipline. We need to throw those people out. Now, but the context, the two bookends of the chapter, acceptance and forgiveness. The accountability section in the middle needs to be read within the two bookends. We bring up things so there can be reconciliation. We hold people accountable so that there can be forgiveness Peter begins with a question, and he says, Jesus, I go through life, people always sinning against me. They're wounding me, hurting me, speaking about me, gossiping about me, disrespecting me. How many times shall I forgive these miserable people when they sin against me? Up to seven times? Now, uh, you got to understand, Peter's being incredibly generous. You know, we look at that and say, oh my goodness, seven times? Do you forgive seven times? If people commit the same sin against you seven times, are you willing to forgive seven? We don't even forgive seven times. The religious leaders taught you should forgive three times, kind of like baseball, right? Third strike, you're out. Um, 
the Peter is more than doubling the standard requirement. He's expecting another pat on the back, right? Two chapters earlier, Peter, that's right. I am the Messiah, the son of the living. He's expecting again, Jesus, I, did, I get another good grade, right? What does Jesus say? No, 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 Peter. Not seven times, 77 times. Now, that does not mean on the 78th time you clobber somebody. That's not the point. The point is you don't keep count. That's the point. Seven is the perfect number. Matthew loves numbers, right? Jesus is saying, you need to completely forgive. As often as people sin, you need to forgive. So uh, I did a little math, a little painful math. There are 365 days in a year. Think, good, Charles. I am 62 years old. 62 times 365. If I sin once a day, don't laugh. If I only sin once a day, that's over 22,000 times. Some of you think, but Charles, that's way too low for you. Yeah, I know. It's way too low. I'm just making a point, right? Over 22,000 times. What would my life be like if my wife and daughters kept count? I surpassed 77, you know, decades ago. If you use the older version, I surpassed 490 decades ago. I'm in a world of trouble. Jesus says, you don't keep count. I'm really glad that my daughters don't keep count. I'm especially glad Kim doesn't keep count. But I'm overjoyed at the fact that God doesn't keep count. And you better be too. Because in scene one of the parable, Jesus again speaks against the cultural understanding. See, we live in a culture where, you know, people live by the matter. Everybody's basically good, right? What's the first scene of the parable? Here's a servant, comes before his master. He owes 10,000 bags of gold, okay? The original is 10,000 talents. Now, here's what you got to understand. That is an enormous, uncountable debt. Let me explain. 10,000 was the largest Greek number. Nothing higher. Can't be. That, it's the word myriad. That's why in Revelation, how many angels surround the throne? Myriads and myriads. Of, it's, there is no higher number in Greek back then, right? It's the highest number. So it isn't like, oh, 10,000. No, no, no. It's the biggest, it's a zillion, right? It's even bigger than the federal debt, right? I mean, 28 trillion, we can't comprehend that number. Well, 10,000 talents, 10,000 bags of gold makes 28 trillion pale, pale in comparison. You can't count that high. That's the debt that the servant owes. And as we read ourselves into the story, that's our debt. So here's the point of scene one. God doesn't look at you or me. Jesus doesn't look at us and say, yeah, he's basically a good guy. A little self-help, you know, a little therapy, you know, a little self-discipline, a little accountability, for, and, and she'll be okay. No, no, no. Here's what Jesus says in scene one. Every one of you are really, really bad. You're worse than you can imagine. 
Your 10,000 bags of gold bad. You can't repay that debt bad. And that is the debt that the servant is forgiven by the master. 10,000 bags of gold, and it's forgiven. That's incredible. Now, when we move to scene two, we're, we're, all, sit, right? we're, all, we're all ready for a standing ovation. Right? Here's the servant from scene one. He now is going, Captain Forgiveness, right? He now is going to find people that are indebted to him, and he's going to share the forgiveness that the master gave to him. He is going to go and extend that to other people. He now is going to resemble his master in that way. He finds a guy that owes him 100 days pay. Now, make no mistake, that's a lot of money. That's like four months pay. So whatever you make in four months, right? You make $2,000, that's eight grand. You make 4,000 or you make four, that's 16. Whatever the math is, you know, four, that's a lot of money. He finds the guy that owes him 100. He's just been forgiven an astronomical debt, finds a guy that owes him 100 days wages, chokes him, throws him into prison until the debt can be repaid. I'm not sure if he's stupid or what. If he's thrown into prison, how can he repay? Oh, Maybe he's thinking a relative, a friend, will pay his debt and get out. We're not sure. But he throws him in the prison until the debt can be. He's not resembling his master. He's not resembling living out the forgiveness that he's received. It's totally different. The other servant's going, tell the master. The master's ticked off, throws him in the prison, right? And, huh. Now, here's the point of scene one and scene two. Uh, I'm going to change the metaphor from money to distance because I don't want you thinking about money at the end of the service. Other people's sins against you, regardless of how terrible they've been, and I know some of you have been wounded by people sinning terribly, right? Other people's sins against you, they're, they're real. They cause pain and suffering. I know that. Other people's sins against you is like the distance between Souderton and Quakertown. You got to drive, right? Get on 309 if there's a traffic jam. Now they're doing construction. It's a pain in the butt to get up there, right? I mean, other people's sins, it's like from from Souderton to Quakertown. Your sin, your debt owed to God, is like the distance between Souderton and and the sun. There is really miles between Southern and Quakertown, and it's real. But in comparison to the distance between Southern and the sun, infinitesimal. Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, yeah, but you don't know what it is. Okay, maybe the distance of other people sin against you is from Southern to Ocean City, right? It's coming. It's good. Thank God. Um, but your sin, your debt before God is Southern to the sun, In comparison, it's infinitesimal regardless of how huge it is. Therefore, since we've been forgiven, we need to forgive. Not three times, not seven times, not 77 times or 490 times. We need to not keep count. Just like God doesn't keep count. 
I'm not sure if some of you, I know some of you don't notice, but others of you do notice. As you're coming in before the service, uh, let me explain to you how to forgive and how not to forgive. How do you forgive? When you're coming into the service, there's music playing. We have that on Spotify, right? A collection of songs, we kind of pick and choose. Um, Many of you never knew that before. You're like oblivious when you come in, right? That's fine. Others of you hate the Spotify playlist. We get emails, text messages, complaints. We hear you, right? You hate the Spotify. Others of you love the Spotify playlist. We used to play cultural songs. Now we play church. Everybody everybody has an opinion. Either they don't know Spotify is playing or they have an opinion, yes or no. Here's the point. We all have a Spotify playlist that plays in our minds. And I can guarantee you, some of the songs on that playlist are other people wounding you. Some of the songs on that playlist are people gossiping about you, disrespecting you, tarnishing your reputation, stealing from you, physically abusing you, psychologically. People have sinned against you. You play that playlist, don't you? And you almost can't stop. Maybe you come to church and you hear a preacher say, you need to forgive. And so you leave saying, I'm not going to play the playlist. But as soon as you see the person get back in the car, it starts playing again. But you can't help it. Spotify just comes on. How do you forgive? You need to change the playlist. How do you change the playlist? Just like the two characters in the parable. That's why Jesus told it. Rather than playing the songs of other people wounding and sinning against you. You need to play the track of your infinite sin before God from Souderton to the sun. And you need to play the song of finding forgiveness in Jesus because of what we celebrated last week. When you play that song, the other song will begin to evaporate and will eventually be erased from Spotify. You're never going to do it by discipline. You're never going to do it by fighting to not play play the song on Spotify. You're going to do it by changing the playlist. You're going to add a new song to the playlist. And when you're caught listening to Spotify, people sinning against you, you're going to remind yourself not the distance from Saturn to Quakertown. You're going to remind yourself of the distance between Saturn and the sun. And when you swallow and live in that forgiveness, you'll be able to forgive, unlike the servant in scene two of the parable. Who is Jesus? He's the king, king of the universe, king of all that there is. What did he do? He came on a mission of forgiveness to unite us to God and unite us to one another. The church, Calvary Church, needs to be built on the foundation of who Jesus is and what he did. It needs to be built on the fact that Jesus is king and we need to imprint on him by assembling and having appointments. And we need to build on the foundation of forgiveness because let's face it, this past year and years before that, we've sinned against each other. Some of you have critiqued other people here because they don't want to wear a mask, they want to wear a mask, they want to come back, they don't want to come back, they don't want to bring their kids. Or come we sin against each other. Change the playlist. Move your sin to the forefront. Other people's sin to the background. And as you're forgiven, learn to forgive others. The new normal 
needs to be a normal where we're imprinted on Jesus and we live and breathe in an atmosphere of forgiveness. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for these two uh, foundational stones, nothing that we haven't heard before. And yet, Lord, regular reminders are needed. Because as we go through life, we imprint on other things and we organize our lives around them rather than around Jesus. Lord, correct that and help us to imprint by assembling and holding appointments with you. And Lord, help us to uh, regularly breathe in and breathe out forgiveness so that forgiveness becomes the atmosphere that Calvary Church lives in. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.